And this is Paul. And this is Wayne. Well, we have a pretty... We, we, we have, like, a bunch of stuff to talk about, but only from two items. <laughs> um, I, I have a mysterious third item, Paul. <laughs> you may want to get that checked out, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> Apropos of nothing, uh-huh. I was, uh, you know, uh, dusting my action figures in my office this morning. And, you know, because I've, I've been up since God awful. And uh, I was I, I had my pre new 52 dark side figure, you know, it's the dark side with the with the skirt as oh, a, yeah. you know, the, the kilt versus, you know, dark side with the pants as we have now. Yes. But so I, I'm I, I flipped him upside down, oh. and I'd like to point out, Dark Side is Commando pre New Fifty Two. No, I'm no, he is, he is. There is no underpants down there. No way. I'm saying, yeah, he his, yeah, of course. There's no, there's no genitalia, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the the coloring is the same color as his face, as opposed to being the same color of like his tunic. Of so. course, he's commando. No power in the universe can, you know, <laughs> contain little dark side. The anti-life <laughs> equation is in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Huh. The, the There's dark side and underside. <laughs> <laughs> the more you know, I guess. <laughs> I was just like, huh, that's an interesting choice that uh, that they went with there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would have just thought you to just keep it the same color as the tunic because it's all one piece. It's not like the tunic is another piece of plastic over him. I would just kind of marveled at that. Spend a lot of time considering Darkseid's junk this morning. Clearly. Or absence thereof. This is what happens when Aaron doesn't get any sleep. <laughs> he smooths down there like a dolphin. <laughs> like a dolphin. <laughs> There's a mental image for you. Smooth like a dolphin. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Show title. <laughs> so, um, let's talk about something appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> that would that would be new and different for our show, Paul. Yeah. But sure, go yeah. ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I I know I, I it much like Wayne used to talk about the death and return of Superman novelization all the time. I'm I talk about Walmart quite a bit on this podcast, and I know that's a thing. I have this like weird Walmart fascination. But I was just reading the comic news before recording, and those two big stories that I had mentioned, um, the Superman and Batman stories, the Superman story from Tom King and Adam Kubert, and the Batman story, or Andy Kubert, excuse me, and the Batman story from Brian Bendis and Nick Darrington, will be collected in trade later on this year, in October and November. So I don't, I no longer have to try to seek out new life and new civilizations. Um, I no longer have to seek out these fucking comic books that are impossible to find. But you love Walmart. You fetishize Walmart. I, 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 if if it's, it is the red room of pain for me. Um, (laughs) You know, I, I just, I can't stand it. I can't abide it. I can't abide searching for things. This is why I don't buy Funko Pops anymore. Because I get frustrated with the hunt when the hunt never proves fruitful. And that's how it feels with these Walmart books. So I am thankful that these stories that I've been excited to read will be collected in trade. And it means that you don't have to go seek out the lowest lane torture issue. Um, it'll be collected in trade later on this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I plan on buying it when it is because I did go seek it out and I found they have a shit ton of comics there, but never the one you're actually looking for. Right. It's annoying. They well, always have the Christmas like, special. It's like buying comics back before the direct market. Yeah, you know, where you had to go, to go to the corner store and just hope to God what you're looking for is on the spin rack. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, that was fun as a kid because, it, you know, when we were kids, it was, you know, it wasn't necessarily that difficult. It was uh, an age of discovery, Paul. Yeah, exactly. And comics were written, <laughs> you know, they weren't as um, episodic. You know, they, they were a lot of done in one issues and you could pick up any issue. That's how things used to be. Uh, but nowadays, like, I can't imagine trying to pick up, you know, Brian Bendis's Superman number seven on a spin rack and then trying to find the other six issues kind of thing. Right. Yeah, Exactly. But I thought I'm, I'm excited about that news, and uh, you know I'm I'm looking forward to to reading those stories. And in you know seven to t- seven to eight months, we'll let you guys know what the, how they are. So s- stay tuned. <clears throat> well, I think there is uh, one other big bit of news that came out this week, and that is that Arrow is okay. uh, moving into its last season next year with a limited run of ten episodes. 
Yeah, we actually talked a little bit about this. Was it last week? About yep, last know, week. Arrow being past its prime. Uh, how we passed it? Sell by date. Sell by I believe date. was our phrase <laughs> by like five seasons. Yeah, yeah. and, and um, then we took some shit on that from uh, you know our friend uh, Sardell. Yeah, you know on the tweeters. Which you know, I mean, hey, people watch the show. I just uh, <laughs> I, clearly, uh, and but you know, there had been rumors, and I, I don't remember if we discussed the rumors last week. But the rumor is that um, a couple of the shows will be ending post War on Inf- or Crisis on Infinite. I was about to say War, on, Crisis on Infinite Earths, mm-hmm. um, and that a couple shows will be ending, and there'll be kind of a soft reboot um, of a lot of the shows that are that are showing on the CW, uh, and you know, Arrow clearly being one of them, but the the rumor was also that Supergirl would be getting the axe and being replaced with a Superman show. So we shall see. Well, I, you know, Sardell made the comment, you know, how could we judge that uh, it was passed at sell by date when we aren't, when we have, have been on record as not currently watching uh, uh, Arrow, or at least that was the point he was making when he said, Hey, you know, aren't, didn't you, you both jump off of Arrow. And uh, uh, I, I pointed out that, you know, Paul and I have at least watched one episode of Arrow this season. You know, the crossover episode. The crossover. <laughs> <laughs> I, but, I have all of them on my DVR. I just have no desire to watch any of them. Well, you know, I, I, I think, you know, where I where I fell down on this was that I just got tired of a lot of the soap opera aspects of that show. Um you know, and once he drove off into the sunset with Felicity, I was kind of, OK, I'm done. This is my end point. Um, I still like the character. Um, I just got kind of tired with, you know, kind of like, you know, chasing Spock in, in Star Trek Discovery. I got tired of chasing the relationship with Felicity because it was we get we get them married. We get them unmarried. We, you know, she's feels betrayed, yada, yada, yada. I'm just like, yeah, I'm done with that. But I did enjoy him in the crossover. I do enjoy Stephen Amell. And yeah. I, I will absolutely turn tune in for the last 10 episodes. And here's the thing. Um, every actor who plays Green Arrow, whether you know they introduce a Green Arrow into the Marvel Cinematic Universe or whatever. I, who, why, I would always... they, why would they introduce a Green Arrow oh, to the Marvel Cinematic into Universe? To the DC Paul? Extended Universe. Ooh. Is this some other news that you're that you're uh, spilling here today? No, I need to focus on the podcast <laughs> and stop looking up next week's books. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, whether they introduce a new Green Arrow or not, I, I find that I will always compare them to Stephen Amell yeah. because you know he he has he is the Green Arrow to me and and even when I read the comics now because let's be honest Green Arrow isn't the most well written book out there uh, he, he's had some great runs um, like Judd Winnick did a great run on him Mike Grell yeah. obviously but uh, you know in general I, Green Arrow is a character I like in concept more than in execution so mm-hmm. you know I but I I, I do think that. I, even the comics, I try to find um, comparisons to Stephen Amell. So hopefully he, he will be on to bigger and better things um, in the future. Well, and you I know, would hope speak- that they'd... Go ahead. I'm sorry, Wayne. Uh, no, go ahead. Mine's going to jump into a different, slightly different topic. I was just going to say that I would hope they'd bring him back for crossover. You know, that, yeah. that even though the series is ending, you know, his presence in the... the uh, CW DC universe doesn't have to go away because yeah. I've, I've really enjoyed him where I feel like he shines as, you know, coming in and you know talking to Barry and interacting with all those other characters. Um, I, I, I kind of dig that. And I like that they're launching, you know, Batwoman kind of in to, to replace that sort of storytelling. Yeah. Agreed. So yeah. I, I, so I would be pissed if they killed him. I'm just saying, yeah. don't kill yeah, him no, after no 10 years or eight years. There's no reason to kill him. Just, you know, let him ride off into the sunset <clears throat> or something. Or yeah. if you kill him, you can always bring back alternative universe, alternate universe, <laughs> or alternate timeline green arrow. Yeah. So there's no reason to not to, to discontinue the use of Stephen Amell. So unless he gets the, fat, uh, unless he gets fat, you can't have a fat. If he can't salmon ladder that shit, you don't need him. Speaking of the DC movies, <clears throat> uh, another piece of news this week. Well, I think it came out this week was, uh, Will Smith not on Suicide Squad anymore, and Idris Elba. No, yeah, that role. I just want I, everyone I, to know that we talked before the podcast, and I said, "Ah, eh, there's no news. We don't need to yeah. talk about anything. We can just go straight into the comics." <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. The 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 Will Smith Idris Elba. You know, I they did say it was going to be a soft reboot, so but apparently it was a recasting, not because they wanted to, but because of scheduling issues. So yeah, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, I am actually excited for the new Suicide Squad. I mean, you've got James Gunn working on it. Idris Elba is a 
great. I mean, Will Smith was not a problem with Suicide Squad. No. The story was the problem and the special effects and all of that. Will Smith did a pretty good job in the role, but I like this casting better. I mean, here's the thing. Well, that's tr- uh, Su- Suicide Squad was barely watchable. Without Will Smith and um, Margot Robbie, it would be unwatchable. Well, and I, I see that uh, James Gunn's angling to get Dave Batiste from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy on it as well. Yeah. And I mean, you're crossing the streams there, guys. <laughs> but but, you know, with uh, volume three of Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, questionable right now, it, it sure does seem like a good opportunity for am I saying his name right? Is it Bautista or Bautista? Bautista. Bautista. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's a good opportunity for him. Yeah. Agreed. And I know that, I know that he is solidly in Camp Gun. So, yeah, agreed. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm a, I, I could not stand the Suicide Squad movie. And uh, that sounds really exciting. But I tell you what, when I was in the theaters to see Captain Marvel this week, they were running a, a, a trailer that I wasn't familiar with, but it had Idris Elba in it when it came up. And I'm like, did they already have film on the Suicide Squad movie? No. And then, you know, it was the Fast and the Furious spinoff with yes. The Rock and, and uh, Jason Statham. But uh, <laughs> I was just I was kind of cracking up going, how the hell do they get film on this so quick? Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that Fast and the Furious film. It looks dumb it as looks shit. terrible, Paul, <laughs> but almost as bad as the movie I watched this morning. I watched that Dwayne The Rock Johnson skyscraper movie. Oh, that movie's so bad. <laughs> that is so terrible. It is so it bad. Is so bad. <laughs> so yeah, that, I would say that's sad to hear, but that's what I thought out of the previews of it. I really like him in more comedic roles. I oh. It was not a good movie, but I loved Rampage. Well, you know, uh, actually, I love Rampage. I, I think Rampage is, was a whole lot of fun. But, you know, The Rock is never bad in a movie. No. The, the Rock is never the thing that's wrong with a movie. It, you know, they spent millions and millions of dollars on the skyscraper film, but they didn't bother to hire a writer. Um, that was the problem with it, because even the direction wasn't bad, you know, and it was, it was slickly put together. And, you know, you had some great talent on the screen. But wow, that story was bad. Yeah. I, and I, I was completely bothered by the fact that all through the movie, you know, uh, The Rock plays a guy with an, with a, a uh, below the knee amputation. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, so he's wearing an art, an artificial uh, leg throughout the film. And, you know, he's running and gunning, which is fine because, you know, they, they build those things for that kind of activity now. But there are several times during fight scenes and whatnot where the leg gets knocked off. But the scene in which he is rappelling from a rope on the side of this building, you know, thousands of feet in the air. Um, and the he, he falls and it's looped around his artificial leg. It stays on. Yeah. I mean, he that that leg demonstrated its readiness to just separate from his body at any given time, <laughs> except for when he's hanging upside down from it. And I'm like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> There's only so much disbelief I'm willing to suspend. And you use a whole bunch of it when they're standing over the fire and barely breaking a sweat. You know, when heat rises. So, you know, let's go ahead and suspend the belief of of, th- of how, you know, heat works, thermodynamics, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, the fact that they haven't died of asphyxiation, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're thinking too much about it, Aaron. Regardless, know, it's but, a shit movie. The, but the Fast the, and Furious but, one, guaranteed to be yeah, good. Yeah, that's that's going to be uh, uh, Oscar nominated, right? Yeah. We're going to call that cinema. It's directed by the same guy who directed Deadpool 2. I just want, I'm just putting that out there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It looks terrible, Paul. <laughs> well, you know, we, we've been talking about soft reboots and, you know, things like that. So let's talk about uh, a comic book that seems like it's leading to some kind of soft reboot. Um, Doomsday Clock uh, is the only comic book we're going to talk about this week so that we could spend the majority of our time talking about Captain Marvel. Um, Doomsday Clock number nine came out this week. It, it, I feel like it, you know, we've... we've Every time an issue comes out, we we go on for for a while about the delays. So we know it was delayed. It's out. Um, and uh, I'm just going to say, guys, I freaking loved this issue. I oh, yeah. loved this issue. This book was everything I've been wanting in this book since since the first page, since the first issue. That's part of the problem with it is it took this long and out of nowhere, suddenly we're getting it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've had a lot of issues with the series overall, and it was. I really like this issue. I have a few issue, a few problems with the issue, but 
it's like the pacing of this series is I have no idea what this is going to be like reading in trade because it's ridiculous. The pacing, it's like the entire series leading up to now everything happens. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, the, the, I, I will say that the first major problem with this this issue that I had was the uh, primary cover, not the variant cover, but the the standard cover. Yeah. Uh, with, with that Legion ring. Uh, the design of of that page. Number one, it took me a second to figure out what the hell that was, mm-hmm. and then the the red blobs, uh, the the layout on that, the design of it is just not very effective, and it really intrudes on the on the space of the ring in such a manner that you're like, what the hell is that? You know, I just I really hated the design of that page. Yeah, and why was the Legion ring that big of a deal? I mean, yeah, it was a a big storyline for the Legion, but what does it have to do with this story? Well, that's what they, so they go into it on the first page, right? That, that, you know, the, the Legion ring is flying through space and it lands in his palm and then it disappears because of the actions that Dr. Manhattan has done has essentially wiped the Legion from continuity as well. Right. So, you know, the, well, the, the disaster despite, that that character, cre- you know, prevented doesn't now happen. Right. Despite the fact that, you know, we've seen Saturn girl in this series, right? Yeah. You know, which also touches on, and I, I, I really do feel like, uh, without it being stated in a, in a really bold manner, that the uh, Doomsday Clock book is really kind of sort of functioning as a capper specifically to the to Jeff Johns's earlier run on Justice Society prior to the New 52. Because, you know, you had the Legion coming back in time in that book as well to prevent you know, some, some horrible thing. And you, you had Saturn girl and you had, you know, star boy and, you know, those folks, uh, coming back in time. I, I do feel like that's part of this. And I don't know, I don't know if it is, Hey, this is our justice society, you know, wrap up as much as it is wink justice society wrap up. So that's how it feels to me. When is the story supposed to take place? Is it before the DC books that are out right now or after? after. Or Because there are so many things that just don't fit when they have the big ensemble pictures. And I understand yeah. that's hard to do, but you've got Nightwing sitting there. Mm-hmm. Nightwing is not, not wearing that costume right now. doesn't have that haircut right now. and yeah. that. Well, and Mary Marvel looks out of place, right? Her uh, her costume doesn't look correct to me. Yeah. And, I mean, so there's a lot of it that's just, it's like, is this pre-New 52? Is the, you know, wh- where are we, you know, kind of in, in all of this? Because some of the characters don't look right to me. Yeah, I but think this is, I'm I able think to they said this is after the current continuity of the DC person. And, you know, I, I try not to get lost in those things because it is easy to, you know, Aquaman is not Aquaman. You know, the, you know, there are a lot of characters that are out of place, but... You know, I, I chalk it up to, well, you know, eventually they're going to go back to status quo with those characters anyway. <laughs> um, right. You know, for me, and in regards to the pacing, and I know we've talked about the pacing, I feel in retrospect, if read as a whole, the pacing won't be in it. Because I, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it all right before issue 12 comes out to see if the pacing really struggles with me. Because looking back, I don't feel like anything, any issue wasn't important. I just feel like it took a while before momentum was really built. It feels like we had, you know, basically, this story has been moving pretty solid since issue I think six. So we've had, so we had like four or five issues of nothing of, of setup. Um, and you know, that, that feels like a long time, especially with the delays. Had this book been bi-weekly or even monthly, we probably wouldn't be sweating it. Um, you know, I, Aaron and I talked a little bit about this book earlier this week, and I think my love for this issue comes from just how much it feels like, um, the Jim Starlin, George Perez, Infinity Gauntlet, uh, series to me. Uh, especially this, this, this specific issue feels like Infinity Gauntlet number four. And actually, if you think about this series as a whole, it kind of feels Infinity Gauntlet-ish, except with Dr. Manhattan instead of Thanos, that there's this character um, out there in space who has done something to the planet. Um, you know, Infinity Gauntlet, it's wiped out half the, impop- the population. In this, he's rewritten history. Um, but this is the equivalent of Infinity Gauntlet number four, where all the heroes have gathered and they've gone to the planet and basically gotten their asses hit to them. Yeah, so 
I uh, I have to say I really hated Guy Gardner in this book. Huh. I, I, his I'm, profanity surprised me. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Guy to begin with, but when he's doing his, you know, he's trying to talk to Doctor Manhattan by bragging. It's like we've beaten. Uh, he brings up uh, Dark Side, the Anti Monitor, Superboy Prime is there, which I didn't realize all of these things were in continuity or not in continuity anymore. But it's like, why would somebody care or even know about any of these? It's like your bragging doesn't make any sense. And it just comes off as idiotic. Well, it's Guy Gardner. Which is fair, because I do. I've never been a fan of Guy Gardner. But yeah, it's like you those know, pages were painful to read because it was so bad. When I first read that page, I, I just assumed that figure there was Cyborg that, that you referred to as Prime. But as I zoom in, you're absolutely right. That's Prime. Yeah, he calls him. He even mentions when he's talking, "super brat" out to just we uh, trying to torture us and spanked super brats out to destroy us. Yeah, that's Superboy Prime. Uh-uh-uh. Yeah, guess back in continuity, which I think I don't know that we knew that when they did the Superman Reborn or Rebirth, but yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I thought this book was fantastic. I yeah, really I did too. enjoy it. And I, yeah, there I, are some well, minor qualms with it. but well, And I, I got to say, you know, the revelation with Firestorm Ugh. is heartbreaking. I mean, I read that. And I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, that is just that is so terrible to have discovered that. Uh, and I won't spoil that for anybody who, who's who's reading, but I mean, it is heartbreaking. Um, there is a, a wonderful one of the things I love is how in keeping with the tone of Watchmen parts of this book are. And so when they when they just annihilate Dr. Manhattan, you know, then you see the the, you know, neuromuscular system begin to rebuild itself in front of them and the look of horror on their faces as as it's happening. Uh, I just love that. I, I, yeah. I just think this book is fantastic. And there's so much about this book, again, that, that is reminiscent of Jeff Johns's run on Justice Society. Just that panel with Captain uh, – I'm sorry. Uh, I'm using the, the, the wrong character name now – with Shazam talking to Stargirl because, you know, they, they, they had a little bit of a romance in the page, pages of Justice Society. Um, I, I love that. Um, the the uh, – uh, the references to Black Adam or a Black Adam showing up at the at the end of the book, you know, that's also, you know, what he was a major player in the Justice Society books. This just feels like Jeff Johns playing with his characters one last time because we know that this is, quote, his last uh, writing gig uh, for DC Comics. So I get there are a couple of things about Dr. Manhattan that I got a kick out of in this book. Uh, one of them was when he takes the Green Lantern ring and takes it apart. Because he doesn't understand it. And just the idea, you know, they kind of hit on that. That's one of the things, themes at the end of Watchmen is that he's getting bored, that there's nothing new for him anymore. And coming to the DC universe, he's learning things again. He's learning about magic and he's learning about uh, the Green Lantern rings. And it's fascinating for him and interesting for the first time in a long time. So I got a big kick out of that because that uh, that really hits to the character. I enjoyed that they made the jokes and comments about the big blue wing. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did hate was all the Lois and uh, like the Lois and Lex Luthor pages. I oh, don't I like that. I don't like the art on Lois. I don't think it looks good at all. Doesn't look like Lois. I didn't like their interactions. I didn't think Luthor looked good either. Uh, I didn't have either either of those problems, and I enjoyed those pages. So you know, I I, I feel like this is. Uh, Really gearing up, you know, issue nine of a 12 part series, really gearing up to, to bring us into the, you know, last few issues of this series. I really dug it. My only complaint right now is these need to come out faster. Yeah. If I had to venture a guess, we have three more issues to go. I feel like the ending of this issue, you're, you're expecting that the next issue will, will just continue. I feel like issue 10 is going to be the big explanation issue where we go back in time and explore what happened that got Dr. Manhattan here and blah, 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 blah. Then I feel like issue 11 is going to be the big climax with Superman and Dr. Manhattan. And then I feel like issue 12 is the, the denouement. So I feel like that's what we're setting up for, um, you know, just based on normal comic history. Uh, but I'm still looking forward to it. Yeah, I am so 
torn on the series because I would say I've enjoyed maybe half of the issues and hated half of the issues. I, I can certainly say that I have been bored in a couple of issues and that I've had difficulty getting through through a few books. But uh, I, I'm with Paul. I'm curious to see how it reads when it's all together. And, and my plan is is as Paul's uh, that when we get to issue 12, I'm going to reread the previous 11 books uh, right before 12 and see how it reads. I kind of get the. I have a strong feeling that about the first five or so issues, none of them will really matter. Oh, they'll matter. Yeah, I mean they were all set up for you know the the Watchmen characters coming into the DC universe because we still have to find out what what up with Ozyman, Ozymandias and the comedian right. and the new Rorschach. Like I don't think that stuff's over. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. This was really a fun book, and you're right, it does have that Infinity Gauntlet feel, Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is probably why you were thinking when they bring Green Arrow in, into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> yes. <sighs> That's fun. <laughs> well, uh, you know what else is, uh, is is potentially fun is uh, the the new entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, a movie which uh, debuted on International Women's Day. Captain Marvel. And I gotta say, my theater was lousy with women. It, it was like all the women's came out for this movie. All of them. <laughs> yeah, it was it was surprisingly <laughs> quiet. You know, I saw it at one o'clock yesterday. Um, yeah, I saw it at two. I saw it at two. And it, it was I, rather crowded. I yeah, saw it too. at seven thirty at night. <laughs> I didn't notice the all the women's thing because I got there after the uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I got there after the lights had already went down, so I went right to my assigned seat and I, I was kind of amused. There was a, a a party of four to my left, and I saw it alone. I didn't have I, uh, Suzanne had a, an appointment, so I'm like, well, I, I'm ditching you, and went and saw it, uh, you know, all alone. But there was a group of four people, and uh, there was a there were three guys and a girl, and one of the guys uh, clearly is dating the girl. But instead of the two of them sitting together, he sits like on the far left side with his buddies and she's all the way odd man out on the right sitting next to me. And and I'm kind of amused by this because, you know, I know how that works with my wife that, you know, I got to be the buffer between, uh, you know, her and whatever strange sweaty guy is sitting there. And, you know, I just know that that he got to hear about that on the car ride home that, you know, you put me out there next to the, uh, you know, stranger. And I kept wanting to make comments to her. I kept wanting to make uh, comments to her throughout the movie. I, I refrained, but kept wanting to, you know, like when she was bitching about uh, how horrible one movie looked on the trailer. And I just almost, and what I do to my wife, anytime she's like, oh, that looks terrible, I'll say, opening day. <laughs> but I decided that might be a little over the line, so I refrained from that. <laughs> So, yeah. so what do you guys think of Captain Marvel? Uh, you know, well, actually, before we go into it, I will say I don't know if you guys um, experienced the same thing. I did not have the Infinity War or Endgame trailer before. Um, did I? I missed the first couple trailers. I didn't have it before mine, from what I saw, but it could have played before. I don't think I had an Infinity War. I had the Spider-Man uh, yeah. Far From Home trailer. I had Spider-Man. I had Shazam. I had um, that too. I had. Uh, I had the, the Fast Rock and movie. the Furious thing. Yeah. Um, I had Frozen Two. I didn't have Frozen Two, but I had Lion King. I did not have Lion. Yeah, King. did not have Lion King. I had Frozen Two. I don't recall seeing the Endgame trailer. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There was a there's a movie that I actually really wanted to see that was a trailer before, but I can't remember what it was. But but it was. I thought it was an interesting choice, and it's probably because they know that people are going to see Endgame regardless, and blah blah Chip, blah. Yeah, but exactly, you know, I, I and there's only but I, I feel like they are. They're like, we are not going to show anything more than what you've seen. Stop asking. Right. Right. <laughs> You'll see it when it comes out because we're only about a month and a half away. Yeah. And we're not far, far at all. Well, um, before I, I get into what I thought of the film, uh, I, I, I really loved the tribute to Stanley at the beginning of the film. You know, oh, the, yeah. the, the uh, flashes of him from all of the uh, MCU movies. You know, my only I, and I understand it was. They they did used those bits because those were the movies he was in. I the only thing I, I disliked about that is that I really would have liked to have seen some images from when he was a young man. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. you know if you've seen images of uh, Stan back in the seventies, 
that son of a bitch was a stud. You know, he was he was really kind of rock star in the whole Marvel Comics gig back then. And it would have been nice to have some of that up on the screen. But I understand they were just using the MCU images. So I have to say I absolutely loved his cameo. Yeah, the cameo yeah. was good, too. The, I also uh, en- enjoyed the Kelly Sue uh, cameo, you know, where, they, where, where she passes Captain Marvel in the subway. Oh, yeah. Oh, see, yeah. I don't know what she looks like, so I didn't catch that one. Uh, yeah, it's, she's on the screen for like three seconds, but she is, she is front and center. Uh, if you know what she looks like, you, you, she'd actually jump out at you. There was a reference, apparently, to Kevin Smith in the film. Yeah, the Mallrats script that uh, oh, that okay. Stan is yeah. th- playing himself okay. in the movie because he's reading the uh, the Mallrats script and gotcha. saying his line in there. I didn't catch that he was uh, what that was. I got it now. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, I got a kick in the credits. Uh, they actually gave you know a special thanks out to Kelly Sudeconic, and uh, there was somebody else, but I can't remember the other person they gave a special uh, thank you out to. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick and the artist on that run. Ah, crap. I don't recall. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, the one who basically designed that suit that has the uh, the mohawk in it kind of thing. Yeah. So, yes, the film itself. Um, overall, I enjoyed the movie. I think that the last half hour of the film is the strongest part of the movie. Um, I was... I really was ready for the movie to move along uh, their abouts in the middle. Yeah, I, I, it felt it felt like it had got grown very uh, tedious. But there were there were elements in the movie that I, I really enjoyed. And like, like I said, I think the last thirty minutes are are really strong. Um, I really enjoyed those. But the I mean the scene in the uh, I forget where they are, but it's it's where they're they're they are. Uh, she's got uh, Nick Fury with her, and where they first encounter the cat. Oh, and, and Project Pegasus. Yeah, yeah Project Pegasus. I, I got a kick out of Project Pegasus because uh, I've got the trade of the old thing series where Thing is the security guard at Project Pegasus. Love that book. I do, too. And that's why I got I geeked out about Project Pegasus. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the idea of it, but I, I, I was bored during all of that chase activity. You know, it yeah. was just I was like, come on, <laughs> you know, just move this along. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I I. There were a lot of things I enjoyed about about it. I, I I while I felt that the issue with her her dad, you know, when she's a, when she's a young young girl, you know, kind of honor about you're driving too fast, you know, you're trying too hard, you know, you, you're a girl, just be a girl, stay in your lane, you know, those sorts of remarks was just a little over the top. It seemed it seemed rather ham fisted. Mm-hmm. But I will say that when, you know, she's she's having her internal struggle, you know, and you, you see that image of her and all those situations of her getting up and trying again, I really did feel like that moment was earned. And yeah. so uh, you know, on the one hand, I, I hated what it took to get there in terms of just the 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 style of storytelling in the film. But boy, the scene where, you know, she stands up from having crashed her bike, where she, you know, dusts herself off, you know, in in the baseball diamond when she, you know, stands up from having fallen from the ropes, you know, in military training. I was just like, yes. I mean, that was really a, a great yeah. moment, you know. Uh, so there are things I really liked about the film. And overall, I think it's a good Marvel film. I don't think it's a great Marvel film. Yeah. Uh, but I did really enjoy it. See, I would I feel slightly differently, Aaron, in that I think it was a great Marvel film and it's one of my favorites. Really? Yes. I think it was much better than uh, quite a few of the others. I, I think it did a lot new compared to some of the others. Oh, I will say that. It, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that it uh, it broke some barriers for one. I expect it's going to make buckets of money, which is going to demonstrate that a woman superhero film can can open. Right. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of rewatching on this film. I think a lot of the success of it is not not the script as much as it is the casting. Uh huh. I think she had some incredible charisma on screen with Samuel Jackson. And she was just a she was a fun character. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, all of the snarky comments and all. I I really got behind the character on that one. I don't know that I've ever seen Brie Larson in anything before. Twenty-two Jump Street. <laughs> um, I, also, I've not seen that film. The uh, I, I the will. Room. Uh, 
I will echo that, Aaron. I don't think I've seen her in anything up before either. And what was the other What was the other film you mentioned, Paul? The Room. I've not seen that one. I think that's what she's. Yeah, she's been. She was in. Um, what was Amy Schumer? She, like she had some type of romantic comedy. Uh, oh, is that the one where she's? Oh gosh, what a hater. With Bill Hader? Yes, that one. I saw that one. Um, was and, she like the sister? Yeah. Okay. All yeah. Right. I mean, uh, regardless, nothing you know, super yeah. recognizable. Well, I thought I thought she she was really good on screen, and you know, I I she felt you know like a really heroic character. I I feel like the thing that I missed from the movie is that I wanted more of her flying a jet fighter. I wanted the Top Gun moment, right? Yeah. With her and her buddy, I wanted to see, you know, them, you know, flying upside down against a Russian MIG. I really was expecting that. And the fact that I didn't get it, I think, is what bothered me so much about the movie is that I wanted to really be grounded in who she was as uh, as, you know, Carol Danvers jet pilot uh, versus, you know, uh, Captain Marvel. I don't know who I am. And yeah. having to rediscover who I am. I just really wanted that beginning of, of the movie, you know, the, the whole, you know, flying off an aircraft carrier and, you know, flying somebody down. That's what I, I, I needed that scene and we didn't get it. So one of the one of my complaints on the movie is they never do explain Cree with different skin colors. Yeah. Pinks versus I, blues. Exactly. I mean, what we've seen in I know Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. just a TV show. But Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. dealt with Kree quite a bit, and all of them were always blue. And they have blue skin, or they have blue uh, blood, they established that. They just suddenly present, you know, different color skin for Kree and never explain that that's a thing. Yet every other time we've seen Kree, they've been blue skin. I wanted that explanation. It didn't make any sense. That definitely did bug me, but it may have bugged me more because I watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I was really hoping for the gruesome, monstrous reveal of the uh, Supreme Intelligence, you know, that 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 we that in the final conflict with the Annette big Deming. giant brain. Yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to see that 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 big face with the tentacles. You know, <laughs> I mean, I was really looking forward to that. And that didn't happen either. I mean, we, we just kept it as, you know, Annette Benning as the personification yeah. of the Supreme Intelligence. And I really think that horrific sort of look because, you know, the Kree are very much presented, you know, in the in the early parts of the movie as being the good guys. Right. You know, the, these are the good guys. The scrolls are the bad guys. And, you know, of course, that flips as the movie progresses. And I got to tell you, I don't know if you guys picked up on this or not, but it felt very Israeli-Palestinian conflict to me. You know, the scrolls just looking for a homeland like the Palestinians are. And, you know, the Cree kind of being a, the uh, the Israelis and, and, you know, not wanting them to have any foothold at all in their, in their lands. Their lands being the galaxy. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the only one who picked up on that. No, or not, you're probably that, that, right. I mean, I'm sure they. I'm sure it, some of it takes inspiration from it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't pick up on it, but now that you've mentioned it, I can see that. But you know, I, I and I and I will say, I was really worried about what the scroll makeup was going to look like. I think they did an outstanding job. Yeah. On making the scrolls look like scrolls. Yeah, I, I love. I love the scrolls and I loved yeah. finally getting to see them on this, you know, on the screen. And Jude Law was a perfect cast for uh, Jan Rog. Perfect. I, I, I was dubious on that, but I thought he was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed Jude Law in that role. Yeah, I thought I, yeah, honestly, I would I had no problem with any of the casting. Um, yeah. It is shocking the de-aging they did on Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, you know, those Marvel guys can do anything, Paul. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I, I leaned over because I saw it with my buddy Nathan, and I leaned over to him at one point. I'm like, so they can do this good of a job with Samuel L. Jackson, but they can't remove Superman's fucking mustache. Um, <laughs> you know, like, it is, like, I just for, I forgot that it was computer-generated Samuel Jackson at some point because it was so well done. Yeah. Well, I think the difference is is Disney's got those mad stacks of cash versus, you know, Warner, not so much. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think they did a really good job of the time frame setting. All of the little things to tell you this is the 90s without smacking you in the face with it. Well, well 
that's one problem I had with it. Um, How's that? My biggest gripe with the film was, and it's probably just because I really don't like the song, was the big climactic battle where, where Captain Marvel kicks everyone's ass. They play No Doubt, Just a Girl. And I cannot abide that song. First, even even without it being in a superhero movie. But for me, it just, <laughs> it, it, it's not the big, rousing song that you want to hear when she's kicking ass. Oh, I thought it was the perfect song choice. But then again, I've seen No Doubt live. I enjoy the band. Ugh, can't stand No Doubt. I didn't have a problem with any of the music. I was highly amused at all of the 90s nostalgia. And it did amuse me that, you know, she she crashes to Earth into a blockbuster video, right? When this week, blockbuster was in the news because now there's only one. The one in Australia closed, and now there's one, I forget where, like Oregon or Ohio or something. One of those O states. Uh I, I was like, what was that timed? <laughs> you know, blockbusters in the news, blockbusters in this movie. It just seemed coincidental. I, you know, I'm going to call shenanigans, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I got a kick out of Colson's cell phone, the big uh-huh. giant brick. Uh-huh. Uh, I got a kick out of a lot of the little things. I think music wise, I, I love their music choices. And my, the biggest kick music wise, I think was hearing Samuel L. Jackson sing, uh, was it Postman? Uh huh. Yes, I I enjoyed that more than I should have. Yeah, it I, it was a good movie. I thought that the after credits uh uh scene was it was kind of what you would expect to have seen in you know this this maze Avengers uh, versus this one, but it was fine. Oh, and I'm sure we will. I think that scene will be actually be in the movie, just like uh, they did the um, I don't remember which movie it was after. Ant-Man. Ant-Man. It was Ant Man. Yeah, because yeah, they they did one of those in a previous one yeah. where when you actually watch Captain America uh, Civil War, the scene was actually there. Yeah, right. I'm pretty sure that scene was just a scene from Avengers. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it felt like, you know, the, the scene at the end of Infinity War was perfect where, you know, Nick Fury is paging Captain Marvel. This after credit scene just kind of felt like you wrote, a, wrote past your ending. You know, we know that... Uh, Captain Marvel's going to show up, you know, in Infinity War, because otherwise, why would they have done that? Um, it just I, I would have preferred a different after credit sequence. I, you know, maybe something where she's, you know, sitting on a planet somewhere, you know, uh, listening to a jukebox or something and she gets a page, you know, just something like that would have been more interesting versus her just showing up in the room full of the Avengers. You know, and I got a kick out of the other scene. Like they usually do one that's a serious and then one that's just funny that doesn't really have much to do with anything. The uh, the cat coughing up the Tesseract. Yeah, I I got a huge kick out of that. It was just amusing. Like a hairball. Yeah. <laughs> So overall, I did enjoy the film. For me, you know, I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I I would say um, it's certainly better than some other solo films. I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed Doctor Strange, for example, or um, Iron Man 2 and 3. (laughs) I liked it much better than Black Panther. And I like Black Panther. Uh, I would put for me, and don't get me wrong, I know Black Panther was nominated for an Academy Award uh, for Best Picture. I don't feel it's Best Picture um, nominee, but I, I did really, really love Black Panther. Um, I'd say this is, you know, I wouldn't put this up that high, but I would say it is a solid entry. Um, I don't, you know, I, I get why they put it here, I guess. But I, I think it, the, despite the fact that the trailers did nothing to sell me on this film, I did enjoy it. Well, I, I think this movie, uh, you know, succeeds in a number of areas. I, I think, you know, it ultimately tells a good story. I think that it, again, you know, breaks some ceilings. And I think that it's well positioned to, you know, to uh, foster an environment where Marvel will make more uh, female leads in their in their films. I mean, why the hell we don't have a Black Widow film is absolutely beyond. You know, and I will say the Marvel Cinematic Universe has done a good job of making me care about characters that I have never really cared about. Right. Uh, I was never an Iron Man fan. I mean, I enjoyed the Armor Wars, but I've never been a big Iron Man fan. And that first Iron Man movie made me care about Iron Man. Yeah. Uh, same thing. I've never been a big Captain Marvel fan. The character's always been kind of interesting, and I like her in an ensemble cast, but I've never read her main book. And it, I've never really had what her voice is supposed to be. And 
in this movie, she kicked ass. Well, I, I, I she was, was damn impressed. I was really surprised when they made the choice that Annette Benning's Earth character was actually Marvell. Um, I, w- I was like, wow, I, I didn't I did not see that coming. You know, no, my my first thought was Tim would be so mad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was I was picturing, you know, a certain segment of the Internet losing their shit <laughs> about that. But uh, I, I thought it was an interesting choice, uh, you know, and I don't disagree with the choice. I just it surprised me. You know, yeah. yeah. I got a buddy that would probably be pretty mad about it because he yeah. was a Marvel fan and uh, not necessarily that they'd switch genders, but that Marvel wasn't the big warrior. Yeah. So I could see him being upset by that. But for me, I have no attachment to the original Marvel. So yeah, I, I, I liked it. I, I do. I love the original Marvel, but I also understand that the movies are different than the comics and that you have to streamline your origin stories. You can't get in there and go, well, there was this other guy, Marvel, who who was around for a long time, but he got cancer and died. And, uh, you know. Then, then this character who was, you know, Ms. Marvel for a while and then Binary and then Warbird and now then Ms. Marvel. Now she's Captain Marvel again. You just can't do all that. You have to streamline it. That makes sense. And because this was, you know, really a female empowerment mo- uh, movie, uh, I think it made sense to make that character uh, a woman. Yeah. And uh, I, I do I do love Marvel, but I had no problem with the change. It, it, yeah, it no, suited the here. story. It made sense. Um and if there's one pause, and if there's if there's any indication to how much I I did enjoy the movie, despite the fact that no, it's not perfect. No, it's not going to change the world. Uh, oh but, no, it's changing the world, Paul. <laughs> but uh, I, it, you know, there is a Comicsology sale on Captain Marvel that um, ends March 18th, so it's still available by the time you're listening to this podcast. Hopefully, um, that has a bunch of the Kelly Sue DeConnick run that honestly. I, I didn't read. Um, I, 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 I dropped out of Captain Marvel pretty much once she became Captain Marvel. I read all the Miss Marvel stuff. The Miss Marvel stuff is so good. Yeah. The the run prior to that, the run that goes through Secret Wars and uh, um, Civil War yeah. is so good. Yeah. The I didn't I, I'll be honest with you. While I love Kelly Sue DeConnick's writing, I had a real problem with uh, her initial run on Captain Marvel. Uh, not because I disliked what she was doing with the character. I did not care for the style that she was employing on those books. And I, I just I did, didn't enjoy it. Um, I love Kelly Sue DeConnick's writing. I just didn't enjoy that run. But uh, I also did not care for the mohawk look <laughs> of yeah. the character. I, I think yeah. it works in the film. I didn't. Oh, I, I don't even think it works in the film. The mohawk look is just stupid. The I like the mask in them, but not the mohawk part of it. I I was uh, every time that the mask came on, I was just waiting for it to come off because the Mohawk just looks dumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I agree. I think I think it's a good film. I, 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 I will own it on Blu-ray and uh, I, I am eager to uh, watch it again at home. Yeah. Well, uh, that actually brings me to a point as we move into our discussion of next week's books. Um, one, if you pre-order Aquaman from Best Buy, like I did, you get the digital code and can watch Aquaman now. Um, oh, really? Yes. So I, I will probably be re-watching Aquaman sometime this weekend. Huh. Because now I already I have it digitally and it doesn't come out on Blu-ray for another three weeks. But I went ahead and pre-ordered the Steelbook because I'm a, a Steelbook uh, whore. Um, and the art on the Steelbook, I think, is Dale Keown did the the art on the, the Aquaman Steelbook from Best Buy. So I was like, nice. That's hot. I got to buy it. Nice. I might eventually watch Aquaman. It's on like on like the red box or something where I only have to pay a dollar. I mean, that's I eventually watched Venom that way. So if I if I gave Venom a dollar, I can give Aquaman a dollar. Aquaman's a bit better than Venom. I, I will give it that um, marginally. Yeah, <laughs> marginally. Aquaman is not a good film. No, but it's better than Venom. <laughs> um, so, Wayne, are you still reading Amazing Spider-Man? I am. So uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 17 comes out and I I will pick up issue 16 because I want to check out the start of this new Craven the Hunter arc called The Hunted. Um, so the second part of that comes out next week from Marvel Comics. Uh, and from DC Comics, we have quite a bit. We have The Batman Who Laughs, The Grim Knight, number one, from Scott Snyder, James Tindian IV, and Eduardo Riso, which is a one-shot story about the Grim Knight, the the kind of the mix of the Punisher 
and the Batman, the Batman who has embraced Gunn. Um, you also have, uh, if you missed out on it, the Justice League Dark Trade Paperback Collection, Volume 1, which collects Justice League Dark issues 1 through 3 and issues 5 and 6. So it skips that witching hour crossover. That comes out next week, and digitally it's only 11 bucks. so hella cheaper than buying the individual issue. Like uh, we did. Yeah. <laughs> um, and one of the biggest releases next week is Detective Comics 80 Years of Batman Deluxe Edition. So if you remember when Action Comics hit 1,000, they had a big, giant size kind of like best of Action Comics. Um, this time they have a big best of um, ba- did you, uh, Detective did you, Comics. Did you get that Action Comics in hardcover, Paul? Uh, I did not. I bought it digitally. Um, I got it in hardcover. It's gorgeous. It it, it certainly. I mean, the the digital edition is is gorgeous. Yeah. Um. So this one is curated by Paul Levitz. I love and, Paul. Uh, and contains for the first time published anywhere a new tale of a traumatic early moment in Bruce Wayne's life, written by Paul Levitz with art by Dennis Cowan and Bill Sinkevich. Cool. Yeah. Um. So really looking forward to to that one. That comes out next week. Um, from IDW, you get Star Trek Discovery Annual, Captain Saru, an all-new Discovery adventure that ties directly into Season 1 of Star Trek Discovery. Uh, it is a seven ninety nine book, so be warned. Oh, shit. I will <laughs> not be picking that up. Um, but also from IDW, if you if you want to spend your $7.99 on something, I recommend Rick and Morty versus Dungeons & Dragons. Even if you're not a Rick and Morty fan, that book is hilarious, especially if you love D&D. Um, lots of good D&D-like humor in there. Um, so certainly worth picking up. And uh, one more thing that I'm going to pick up from IDW. Um, they have rebooted their Transformers franchise. Uh, they're starting from scratch. And uh, Transformers number one comes out next week with the completely Ooh. rebooted um, history. And uh, it starts on Cybertron. And eventually, I guess, we'll end up on Earth. I don't know. But I- I'm actually going to try it. I, you know, I've been looking for a jumping on point. I love the Transformers. Um, and uh, this seems like a good one. All right. I will get that with you, Paul. Sweet. Coming up coming up soon, Transformers with Polly and Wayne. Woo. Actually, it'd be Wayne and Polly. Yeah, but only if it's good. If it's not good, we'll just talk about it on the show. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, be sure to give us a call. You know, t- tell us what we're doing wrong. You know, take us to task about some bullshit that we're saying, just like Sardell did at 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the air, you'll win a coveted, valuable ideology of madness surprise. You can also hit us up on Instagram, IOM Geek, Facebook, IOM Geek, or Twitter at Ideology Madness. Woohoo! Well, we'll see you next week, guys. And, you know, the countdown's on. You know, Avengers Endgame coming up soon. Just weeks away, weeks away. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.